Well, amen. Thank you, guys. What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship together and to hear you guys sing. It's been incredible. And what I love to hear about this singing is as we talk about grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is something we do not deserve. But because of God's great mercy with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And that because of his grace, we can rest in the fact that not one of us will be standing in heaven one day, patting ourselves on the back. Not one of us will be there saying, hey, I made it. No, every one of us will be there worshiping the Lord Jesus because of his great sacrifice and his great love for us. And he's taken our sin. And what has he done? He has cast it as far as the east is from the west. He's cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. But sometimes we have a tendency to remember our past, don't we? I was reading about a a man who went out on his um, porch one day, went on a back porch, and as he walked outside, he let his dog out. And he was looking over at his neighbor's house, and in the backyard they have this rabbit pen and One of their favorite pets was their rabbits, and they always were holding and playing with their rabbits. Well, he turned his dog loose. He's drinking his coffee, and after a couple of moments, his dog comes running out of the woods with the neighbor's rabbit in his mouth. I mean, the rabbit is dead. I mean, it is dirty. It is full of dirt, and that little puppy's just shaking it everywhere, and the man's thinking, oh, my goodness, my dog has killed my neighbor's rabbit. And so he took that rabbit, and it was all wet. It looked like a wet rat, like a lot of you coming in from the rain tonight. (laughs) And so what happened was, he took that rabbit. He didn't know what to do with it. He said, I cannot let him know that my dog killed his rabbit. So he took the rabbit in his house, and he began to stretch. It was stiff. It was metamorphic. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, the rigor mortar set in, and he's stretching it out. He's trying to loosen the rabbit up. He puts it in the sink, and he gets some dishwasher detergent, and he's washing this rabbit down. Gets it all clean. Then he pulls out the blow dryer. And this is a dead rabbit, right? And he blow dries the rabbit. Gets it all fluffy. His neighbors are not home. So he sneaks over to his neighbor's house. He opens up the cage and he takes that rabbit and he puts it in the corner. He stacks it up like it's alive, you know. Then he closes the cage and he runs home. He's thinking, man, they'll never know. That afternoon, the neighbors came home and they went out to the rabbit pen. And he's looking through the window and they're all just standing there. They're talking to each other. They open it and they're pointing to one another. He said, oh, no, they found out it's dead. They found out the rabbit's dead. I better go over there. I better just confess up. And he walks over there and he says, hey, guys, what's up? He says, well, our rabbit, we don't understand how our rabbit got here. He said, what do you mean? He said, that rabbit died three days ago. We buried him in the woods. (laughs) And now he's back in the cage. (laughs) And the man went through all of that trouble for a dead rabbit. Let me tell you what that story reminds me of a lot of times. It reminds me of our sin that's been forgiven, that's been buried, that's been covered by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. And what do we do sometimes? We go back and we dig it up, don't we? We bring it back. And the enemy wants to remind us of our failures of our past 
But the Lord Jesus wants to remind us that we're free. And that sin has been paid for. This morning I got up and I was having my quiet time with the Lord. And I had all my messages prepared for this week. But as I was spending time with the Lord this morning, the Holy Spirit seemed to prompt my heart and say, change your message. I don't want you to preach what you were planning to preach tonight. And as I was reading, I was saying, but Lord, I don't have any notes. And the Holy Spirit said, just let me take care of that. Now, I've been in this text all day long. And it seems like God just wanted me to change the message tonight. And the passage that he wanted me to look at and wanted you to look at tonight is found in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, get with somebody next to you who has one because I don't have any notes. We don't have any PowerPoint. I don't have anything except for what the Lord has given me today as we look through this. And why do I feel that the Lord has changed this message? And here's why. The name of this conference is totally his, totally his. This is the name of the conference every year. And I notice a lot of T-shirts that you are wearing and a lot of the staff are wearing. And some of you from years past have been here and you're wearing those T-shirts that say totally his. And I felt like the Lord was wanting us to see tonight. How do you develop a heart that's totally his? You see, because you don't become totally his overnight. There's this thing called sanctification. And sanctification is a process whereby God uses all the circumstances in my life to make me like Jesus. And a lot of times those circumstances are not pleasant circumstances. Sometimes they're painful. Sometimes they're hard. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. So life is not going to be easy in Christ. But there is a process that we see in God's word of how we can develop a heart that is totally his. Now, I'm just assuming that you're at this conference this week because you want to develop a heart that's totally his. And if you're here and you want to do that, then I believe this message is for you and it's for this time. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer... You've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're here with friends. I want you to hear tonight what can be yours. But it can only be yours in a full surrender to Jesus Christ, where you are totally His. So in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, reading to verse 17. That's a lot of verses for me to preach. I'm just going to tell you. But we're going to work our way through this. And there are four things that I want to show you tonight. If you want to title this message anything, you can title it, How to Develop a Heart That's Totally His. That would be the name of this, How to Develop a Heart That's Totally His. And what I want to show you tonight through this passage, there are four things that we can do to develop a heart that's totally His. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, If then... Some translations will say, since then, because the Greek allows it either way. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, 
not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We heard that tonight. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion or lust, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which you were called, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you, Father, that it is objective truth. It is absolutely true and authoritative. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us and teaches us all things. And Father, tonight, I ask that you would guide me as I unpack these verses and as we look at them. And Father, we get a very clear picture tonight of how to develop a heart that's totally yours. And Father, we recognize that we will not be perfect in this. We recognize that we will miss the mark. We recognize that we will fall and stumble through the way. But Father, our desire should be to pursue that which makes our hearts totally yours. Father, we ask you to speak to us tonight. For those who are believers, that you would challenge them. For those who have not trusted Christ, Father, that you would use this passage even to draw them to yourself, that they may know the riches of your grace and your mercy and your abundant love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you four things. The Apostle Paul begins this passage by saying, If then you have been raised with Christ. He's saying since or if you have been. If you are a child of God, then you have died to yourself. You are dead to yourself and you are alive in Christ. You have been resurrected with Christ and you are alive. And so you belong to him And he belongs to you. 
But in this passage, Paul begins to point out some things that I believe that can be markers of those who are seeking to be totally his. And if we want to be totally his, there are four specific truths. Here's the first thing. If you want to develop a heart to be totally his, number one, let Jesus shape your ambitions. You need to write that down. Let Jesus shape your ambitions. This is so important because this is where it begins with us as children of God. Notice how Paul puts it in verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, what we do is we allow Jesus to have our ambitions. When he says to seek the things that are above, he's saying that we are to seek the mind and the heart of Christ. Now, how do we do that? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said this, Seek first His what? Kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. You see, there are two kingdoms that you can live your life by. There's either going to be the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of your own life or the kingdom of this world. If you want to be totally His and you want a heart that's totally His, you've got to make a decision which kingdom you're going to commit to. And the Lord Jesus is saying this, if you're mine, I want you to commit to my kingdom. Now, what does it mean to commit to the kingdom of God? It means two things. It means I submit to his reign because he's the king and he's the Lord, and I submit to his rule. And that means this. I let him set the pace for my life. You are either going to let the world determine what your ambitions are, or you're going to let Jesus determine what your ambitions are. And the way of the world is always foolish. It always is. I read about this man who had a, had a toddler. And, and he was talking to his dad on the phone one day. And he said, Dad, I'm trying to figure out how my son has been. I'm trying to figure out the things about his life, what he might become. And the father said, oh, son, there's an old test. You can, you can learn right away what kind of person he's going to be. He said, well, what is that? How do you do that? He said, you need three objects. He said, you need a wad of cash. You need a Bible. And you need a bottle of wine. He said, whatever for? He said, you put all those on the table and you turn the boy loose. If he runs and grabs the cash, he's going to be a great entrepreneur. If he grabs the Bible, he's going to be a man of God. If he grabs a bottle of wine, he's going to be a drunkard and a reprobate. He said, okay. So he put out the things. He turned his son loose. He went right over there and grabbed the Bible. First, his dad was like, yes. He opened up the Bible, grabbed a cash, stuck it in it, closed it, grabbed a wine bottle, and ran out the room. <laughs> he called his dad. He said, Dad, you won't believe what happened. He told him. His dad said, oh, no, that's bad. That's bad. He said, what's it mean? His dad said, he's going to be a politician. <laughs> so, but listen, that's the foolishness of the world. But Jesus is saying this, you want to be totally mine? Give me your ambitions. I want you to seek my kingdom. I want you to let me direct your life. You see, that's where it begins. If you're not willing to submit your ambitions and your goals and your future and your life to him, you're never going to move to the next step 
of being totally His. It means that you must give Him a blank sheet of paper and basically write on that sheet of paper, Jesus, do what you want to. Why shouldn't we? Listen, He created you. He knows everything about you. He gave you the temperament that you have. He gave you the gifts that you have. He gave you the skills that you have. He is the one who gave you the parents that you have. He has placed you where you live. He is providentially working behind the scenes of your life. And His desire is to use you for His greatest glory. But you must begin by saying, Jesus, here are my ambitions. Here I am. Take me. Use me where I am. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be a missionary. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be in vocational ministry. It may mean that as God providentially works in your life and He's working out the details of your heart, as you surrender to Him, He will make it clear to you what He wants you to be. Some of you may be teachers, but He wants you to be the kind of teacher that brings Him the greatest glory. Some of you might be doctors. Some of you might be nurses. Some of you, Caleb, might end up here at EI. It may be that God is working. He is working somewhere in your life behind the scenes. And many of you are really young, but I'm going to tell you, you start now. How do you know the will of God? God will use five things to show you. His Word, number one. His Holy Spirit who lives within you. Prayer. He will use people and he will use circumstances. And as you submit your ambitions to him, listen, you're developing a heart that's totally his. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But here's the second thing. If I want to develop a heart that's totally His, not only do I let Jesus shape my ambitions, but secondly, let Jesus shape your thinking. Let Him shape your thinking. This is incredibly important, and it flows from the first one. After I give Jesus my ambitions and my goals and my desires, here's what happens. I give Him my thoughts. Notice how Paul puts it. He says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Again, there's a contrast. Set your mind on the things that are above. Once again, set your mind on the things of Christ. Set your mind on the truth of God's revealed word that comes to us. Don't listen to the things of the world. Don't let the philosophies of the world guide you and shape your thinking. You and I are to allow the Word of God to be the main source of shaping my thoughts. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is authoritative. The Word of God is objective truth. And you know what that means? 
When we say that the word of God is absolute truth, it means it is true here. It is true in Australia. It is true in Africa. It is true in Rwanda. It is true no matter where you go. It is true in all places for all times for all people. And it doesn't matter what culture you live in. This goes beyond the barriers of culture. It goes beyond the barriers of countries. It is true. And when you let the Word of God permeate your thinking, it changes your thinking. Let me tell you one of the greatest things that I was taught about the Word of God. The Word of God is your filter. It's your filter. Every single thing you hear must be filtered in the Word of God. Everything. Every single thing you feel must be filtered in the Word of God. Every single thought that you have must be lined with the Word of God. If you hear something that's not in line with the Word of God, it's not true. If you feel something that's not in line with the Word of God, it can't be trusted. The Word of God is your filter. And Christ wants your mind. And He wants your mind to be so firmly planted in the truth of His Word that no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what the culture says to you, no matter what some professor in the days of he- ahead might say to you, God's Word is the filter for everything in your life. You see, the Word of God begins to guide you in every single detail of your life. It guides you in your relationships. It guides you in your future. It guides you in circumstances. It helps you to understand how do I live my life. And if I want to be having a heart that's totally His, my mind must be totally saturated with the truth of His Word. You see, the struggle with many believers today is they know more about what the culture says than what the Word of God says. And they're so easily led astray. And their hearts are deceived. But those who want their hearts to be fully His, they must give their thinking to Him. Why is this important? Paul says there are two reasons. Look at verse 3. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Two really important reasons. Number one, he says you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ. Why should I give him my ambitions? Why should I give him my thinking? Because my life is hidden with Christ. Now, a lot of scholars will say that that could mean a number of different things. But one of the greatest points that it means is security. I am hidden in Christ. I am tucked away in Jesus. Let me give you a beautiful illustration of that. The Apostle Paul often uses these two phrases through his letters. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you are in Christ. Christ in you, you are in Christ. Here's the picture of it. It's like taking a small glass and filling it to the brim with water. That is Christ in you. And then taking a large glass bowl, filling it to the brim with water, and taking that cup that is filled with water, placing it in that bowl that's now submerged in water. 
There is water around the cup. There is water in the cup. And that's the picture of Christ in you and you in Christ. And the reality is this. Nothing can come to you before it comes through the Lord Jesus. You are completely hidden in Him. And there's the security that you have in Him. And so because I have that security in Him, I want to give Him my ambitions. I want to give Him my thinking. But there's a second reason. Not only is it because of that security that you're hidden in way, away in Him. It says this. It says, love this. He is your life. Jesus is your life. I hear people sometimes say, music is my life. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Or man, you know, sports is my life. Academics is my life. Mathematics is my life. I've never heard anybody say that before, but... <laughs> But here's the point. Listen, if Jesus is your life and everything in your life is about Jesus, then he should have your ambition. He should have your thinking. And you should be fully his. So Paul tells us these first two things. That we should let Jesus shape our ambitions. We should let Jesus shape our thinking. Two times he says we're dead. But here's the, the, the problem with that, that thought. Even though you and I are free from sin, we still have a sinful nature, don't we? You see, because of what Christ did on the cross, the penalty of sin has been removed by his work of redemption. Because of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, the power of sin has been rendered powerless, or it should. But because we still live in the flesh, the presence of sin is still here. You and I still have a sinful nature. I was reading once about something that C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, he ran into a man who came to him one day and said, you know what? I believe that I have reached the stage of sinless perfection. I no longer sin." I am free from sin. I can live my whole life without sin. C.H. Spurgeon said, wow, that's amazing. He said, I'd like to hear more about that. Will you come to my house tonight for supper? He said, sure, I'd love to come and talk to you about that. So C.H. Spurgeon invited a man to his house for supper. And the man was sitting at one end of the table. C.H. Spurgeon sitting at the other end. And the man was just droning on and on and on about how he had sinless perfection. See, Spurgeon got up, he grabbed a glass of water, he walked to the other side, got right in the man and threw water in his face. The man got angry, he jumped up and was mad. And see, Spurgeon said, my brother, my brother, I find it amazing that all it took was a glass of water to resurrect the sinner in you. <laughs> see, the reality is you and I are sinners. We're saved by grace, but we have a sinful nature. Now, we're set free from the penalty of it. We're set free from the power of it. But this flesh wants to rise up. And every single day, you and I, listen, every child of God has civil war every day. Every single day, there's civil war inside of you. And somebody's will is going to die. Either yours or Christ. And so what does Paul say, number three? This is a tough one. If we want to develop a heart that's totally his... We must put to death sinful passions. If I want my heart to be totally His, 
There is this situation of fighting sin every day. Notice how Paul puts it. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he begins to list a number of them. Sexual immorality. That's any kind of sexual relationships outside of the bounds of marriage. Impurity. The word there is pornea, which gives us the word pornography, which in this case can refer to things that are impure that we see with our eyes. Or how about this? Passions also means lust, evil desires, covetousness. Why is covetousness thrown in here? Because it's a passion of the flesh. Because I want what you have. Then he goes on. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. People who live a habitual lifestyle of these things give evidence that they're children of wrath. There are a lot of people out there today who will say, oh yeah, I'm living a habitual lifestyle of sin, but I'm a child of God. I'm living with a person, but I'm a child of God. I'm living in a homosexual relationship, but I'm a child of God. I'm actively violating God's word, but I'm a child of God. They're doing all of these things. Let me tell you, they have no assurance of their salvation. But they give evidence that they're children of wrath. Then he goes on, he says, you used to walk in these as well. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. These are in the what you call present imperatives, which are commands. And he says, stop doing them. Stop it is what he's doing. He's saying this, that these sinful passions must be killed. He uses the most radical form that we can imagine. You must kill them. Notice what he didn't say. You must pray to overcome them. He never said that. He never said, you must get a handle on these things. You must get your will against these things. Or you must manage these things. You know what? We don't like to kill our sin. We like to manage our sin. Because if I manage my sin, I can kind of keep it around. Let me give you an illustration of how we can do this. One day I got up to run. I'm a runner. My wife and I both run. And I got up to run and I put my shoes on. And I stretched out a little bit, got out on the road and started running. Immediately there was something in my shoe. A rock or something was in my shoe. Rather than me stopping, taking off my shoe and emptying it, I'm running along and I'm wiggling my toes just right so I can move that rock to a certain way. And I, I managed to move it out the way and it's comfortable for a little while, but then it moves back and then I got to move it back. And finally, after a couple of miles, I took my shoe off and I took out what was in there. It was a kernel of corn of all things. I'd been putting deer corn in the woods for hunting and, and some fell in my shoe. But you see, that's what we do for our sins. Sometimes we like to manage it. We want to say, you know what? I, I can just keep this around. No, I can use it here. I can use it there. I don't want to kill it. I might just want to wound it. But the Apostle Paul says, no, you kill sin. You put it to death. If you don't kill it, it comes back. I've got a lot of flower beds in my yard and every single week, you know what I do? I weed eat that because the weeds keep coming back. Finally, I got tired of it and I put some Roundup and I killed it. And now I don't have to deal with it. How do you kill sin? How do you kill this sin in your life? Well, it's real easy. 
You don't feed it. You don't feed it. How do you kill the sin of sexual immorality? How do you kill the sin of lust? How do you kill the sin of all these things? You stay away from the things that feed that sin. Some of you are watching television shows and movies and things that are feeding the weakness in your flesh. Some of you are watching and looking at things on the computer that's feeding the sin in your flesh. Some of you are hanging out with people who gossip and you're involved in gossiping with them and you're slandering and you're feeding that sin that is in your flesh. Some of you maybe are involved in video games and it stirs up within you anger and maybe anxiousness and you're feeding the sin that is in your flesh. You want to know how to kill it? Starve it. Starve it. Don't read those books anymore. Don't watch those television shows. Don't look at that stuff on the computer. Put yourself in an accountable relationship with somebody where you kill that sin. And you pursue with all your heart holiness. There's a little animal in the United States called the ermine. I wish I had a, a little picture of you. All you girls would go, oh, it's so cute. It's, it looks like a little white mink. It's a really, really cute little animal. And the thing that this ermine takes its greatest pride in is its whiteness. And it lives mostly in areas where there are a lot of snow. And so it runs in the snow, it blends in with the snow, but it wants to keep itself clean. The one distraction that this animal has is trying to stay clean. You know how hunters capture an ermine? It's real easy. They go to where the ermine's den is. He has a little hole or she has a little hole in the ground and they go right into the ground. They go there with this, this tar. And they take the tar and they put it all at the entrance of the hole. And it just makes it all black. And that ermine will come after a hunt and see all that filth and that dirt and that tar and will not go into that den. It will run in circles around it and around it until the hunter walks over there and hits it in the head and kills it. That little animal... You might say is stupid, but you want to know what? That animal will die to protect its purity. Let me ask you this. How far will you go to protect your purity? How far will you go to kill sin? How far will you go to say, Lord, I want to put this to death? Some of you tonight, me included, have areas of our lives that we need to starve. And if I'm going to be a person who's going to be totally His, then one of the things that has to happen is I must be relentless with killing the sin in me. I want to tell you, it's a lifelong goal. Because it always creeps up. You will never be perfect in it. 
You will fail. But the goal is to constantly move towards making my heart totally His. Here's the fourth thing. If I want my heart to be totally His, I must walk in a new nature. Or, let me rephrase that, I must walk in my new nature. Verse 10, he says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The picture here is taking off a dirty garment, taking off these old things of the old man, and putting on a brand new clean garment, which is the character of Christ. And what are those things? Look at verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. You have been chosen from the foundations of the earth. Why? To be holy. Because you are beloved. You are an incredible object of God's love. You are to put on, and he lists all of these different things to put on. Let me give them to you. Compassionate hearts. You know what a compassionate heart is? A compassionate heart is, is the word means um, love in action. It is a noun of action. What it is, it talks about compassion is something that moves you to action. You have a compassionate heart for other people. You don't just have sympathy for them. You don't just have empathy for them. You have compassion for them. When the Lord Jesus had compassion, he always did something. He fed them. He had compassion on them. He taught them. He had compassion on them. He cast out demons and he healed them. Compassion is always followed by action. Be a person that demonstrates the active character of Jesus. I was reading about this lady, a young mother, and she was sitting at the table with her little toddler. And the little toddler is sitting in his high chair, and he's got a pacifier in his mouth. And the mother is sitting right next to him, and she's just going through all the bills. And they don't have the money to pay for it. And she didn't know what to do. She just put her head down, and she was just crying and crying and crying. And she felt this little tap on her shoulder. And when she looked up, her little toddler looked at her, pulled his pacifier out of his mouth, and stuck it in hers. That's compassion. Now, he may not have known what he was doing, but compassion says this. I'm not going to stand around and just watch people. I'm going to live in a new nature. Put on a compassion heart. How about this? Kindness. Put on kindness. Kindness is when you do something for people that may not deserve it. That's kindness. Um, One day I was... um, pulling out of a paint store on a very busy highway. And there was so much traffic right in front of me, and there was this van. There was a guy with a, I think he was a painter. And so I just motioned to him. I said, will you let me in? He just looked at me and said, no. So I didn't say anything like you jerk or anything like that. I I thought it, but I didn't say it. But uh, I thought, I'm sitting there. I said, okay. So he pulls out, and the car behind him lets me in. I get in the left lane couple of blocks, this guy that's the painter realizes he needs to be in the left lane. He looks at me and goes, and what did I do? I let him in. Then I rammed his back. No, no, I didn't do that. No. I, I, I let him in. Why? Because I had just been studying about the fruit of the Spirit of kindness. 
We're to have kind hearts towards people. We're to have humility. Humility is not thinking little of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking of other people. I'm not kidding you. I had a man come to me one day and he said this. He said, Pastor Phil, God told me I was the most humble man in this church. I said, brother, you just lost it. (laughs) Humility is not thinking little about yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. It's the character of Christ. What did Jesus do? He was so humble. Meekness. You know what meekness is? Meekness is strength under control. That I'm going to live in such a way that I have that strength under control. Patience. Patience is long-suffering. The, 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 the rendering in the Greek means it has a picture of a long fuse. Putting up with people. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Now, there's a difference between forbearing and forgiving. Let me give you a picture of that. We're to forbear and we're to forgive. Forbearing is when we put up with people who have flaws in their life. They may fail, they have flaws, and so I put up with them in kindness. Forgiveness has to do if somebody has offended me. Forbearing doesn't have to do with forgiveness. It just has to do with flaws. Forgiveness has to do with an offense. And when someone sins against me, I have the character of Christ. I forgive them. Let me tell you something. It is unconscionable for a person to receive the forgiveness of Jesus but never forgive someone else. That is unconscionable as a child of God. Because how can you walk in the grace of Jesus but cannot offer the grace to someone who has hurt you? Because I can guarantee you this. Whatever they've done to you doesn't compare to what you've done to Jesus. And so we walk in forgiveness. Then he goes on. He says we walk in love. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Then he goes on. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That means this. Let the peace of Jesus be the umpire in your heart. That's what that word means in the Greek. To rule means to be the umpire. He's the one that gives you the peace. There are going to be some circumstances in your life that you're not going to have any peace in. You're going to have an uneasiness in you. Let that rule in your heart. Because Jesus wants to bring his peace to you. It's the umpire so many times in our lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as we talked about earlier. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The four things that we see here that will help shape your heart to be totally His. Give Him your ambition. Give Him your goals. Let Him Be the one to shape your life. Give him your thoughts. Let him be the one to shape your philosophy and your understanding of truth. Put to death sin. Because Jesus died so you would be free from that sin. Walk in your new nature. In other words... Walk like Jesus.
And as you seek to mimic the heart of Christ, then what you will find is a greater passion to follow him and to be like him. What does it look like for a person to be totally his? In 1980, a young man who was unnamed, a young man from Rwanda, was part of a certain tribe of people, but he also was a missionary to his own people. He was a young man who gave his life to Christ in a Muslim world. And he was sharing Christ with his friends and his family and his neighbors. The tribe that he was a part of was offended because of his commitment to Christ. And so they grabbed him, they held him in a council, and they called him to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. He refused to do it. He was executed on the spot. When they went into his little hut, into his little room, they found the last words that he had written. Listen to what he said. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I have stepped across the line. I am a disciple of his. I will not look back, let up. Slow down, back up, or be still. I am done with low-level living, sight-walking, smooth needs, colorless dreams, tamed visions, dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, promotion, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right to be first, tops, praised, recognized, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on His power. I walk in patience and labor in love. My goal is set. My gate is fast. My home is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My God is reliable. My visions are clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of persecution. I will not hesitate in the presence of my enemies. I will not give up, let up, shut up till I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of His. I will go until He comes. I will preach until all know. I will give until I drop. And He, when He comes for His own, He will have no problem recognizing me because my banner is clear. The next day, He was executed. That was a young man that was totally His, wasn't He? And what God is calling us to be is not that young man. But he's calling us to be totally his. And to do so, we give him what he wants. Here's my challenge to you tonight. If you're a believer here tonight, you have been raised up with Christ. You are his. And he is calling you. To be serious about the t-shirt that you wear. Totally his. 
I want to encourage you when you get into your small group tonight with your leaders. I want you to be able to talk openly and honestly about maybe the greatest struggles that are keeping you. It may be your ambition. Maybe your thoughts. It may be sin. It may be your nature. What is it that you can share with the group? This is where I need some encouragement and some prayer. But make a commitment to pursue being totally His. If you're not a believer tonight, my friend, the Scripture says you're a child of wrath. That's not a judgment against you. It's a truth. You're separated from God because of your sin. But the great news is that Jesus gave His life for you. He gave His life so you can be His. And it may be that the Spirit of God has been working in your heart and your mind and you're beginning to think differently and some things are going on. Talk to your counselor. Ask them questions. Be serious about what God is doing in your life. And consider Christ. I'm going to have a word of prayer and then you'll be dismissed and free to go. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Father, for the way that you are patient and kind with us. And we thank you, Father, for what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us and to reconcile us to a holy God. And, Father, for those of us who are believers and who are serious, Father, will you challenge us in these areas? Father, for those who may not know you, I pray tonight and I pray that all this week your spirit would work in their hearts and their minds and they would come to know the living Christ. I thank you for these counselors who love these students and who are giving their time to them. Giving a week out of their life to be with these students whom many of them they didn't even know until this week. Father, will you build a, 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 a sense of fellowship and camaraderie with these teams? And Father, would you use this time for your glory? And we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now here's what I'm going to do tomorrow night. For the next two nights, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at um, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they made commitments to be totally his, okay? God bless you. Have a great evening.